0: Welcome to the More Exemplary Podcast, a study in joyful living. I'm your host, Nick Bogner, a marriage and family therapist practicing in Pasadena, California. In this podcast, I'm talking to some of my favorite professionals, both inside and outside the world of therapy, to learn how they cultivate happiness by accessing their own joy and enriching the lives of others. Thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm so glad you're with us. This week, I'm talking about adult children of alcoholics with Michelle Lang. Michelle has a lot of really interesting insights and lived experiences about what it's like to grow up with a parent who's an alcoholic. For those of you who haven't experienced it, it's a really interesting and and distinct thing that we see a lot in the therapy world. And for those of you who have experienced it, I think you'll find, even if you felt very alone in your experience, um, that there's a lot of this that's going to resonate with you. So I hope you enjoy it. One of the things that uh, you know we've known for ages, or at least in the therapeutic community that we've known for a long time, is that um, alcoholism doesn't just affect the alcoholic, it affects the whole family system of the alcoholic. But a lot of people don't really know that. And another thing that we're going to dig into today is that it, it affects daughters, women in particular, differently. And that way that we've sort of normalized the male experience, there's a lot of things that happen for women that don't necessarily happen um, for people of other genders than that. So I want to get into all this stuff. Let me start with, what are some of the ways that adult children of alcoholics uh, see the world differently from people who didn't grow up with an alcoholic parent?
1: Well, and again, great question. Um, but I really don't think I really noticed until my late thirties that it was actually different. The first time I noticed was when I went to university and I realized that other people didn't have chaos, mm. like they weren't surrounded by chaos So they came from families and they went home and everything was great because their families had these lovely dinners and everything was great. And you mean your dad didn't like want to punch the neighbor out like halfway through dinner? What? Um, That was the first time I noticed, but it wasn't until my late thirties where I really realized that, that I think I was a little bit different because I read a book um, about perfect daughters and it was about daughters of 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 parents that were alcoholics and I realized that the way I had been behaving myself for probably from the time I was 15 up until now um is just different and so some of the traits I exhibit and adult children of alcoholics exhibit are fairly similar and then once you meet another person that's an adult child of an alcoholic Mm. you you you, you're like oh I
0: see you
2: you. I, I see you yeah
0: I always think of it as like speaking the same language as somebody you meet, you meet somebody else who was brought up speaking the language that you speak, and there's a kinship there um, mm-hmm. that is a little quicker than in other ways. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned the chaos that you noticed coming home from university and you, you mentioned a pretty big example, which is like a dad wanted to get into a fist fight with a neighbor. What are some of the more subtle ways that you might or somebody in your position might notice chaos um, and not identify it as chaos? <sighs> That's a loaded question.
1: Well, again, you have to remember that a child of an alcoholic, like an adult child of a, of, that had a parent that was an alcoholic, um, went through many periods of times that were chaos. And so, and those could be anything from having dinner, coming home from school and not sure is my dad going to be passed out on the couch or inviting your friends over. It was always touch and go, like, Can I invite my friends over just for a play date? Like that was very, and I remember thinking about that, that it like, at what point, at what stage of the drinking was my dad going to be in? And so as I got older, I realized that that need for control was so important for me. And being around unpredictable people, even still to this day, is an absolute no-no for me. Really? I will not be around, yes, absolutely. I will not be around people if they're any bit unpredictable, whether that's in their friendship, whether that's in their loyalty, whether that's in like even working with someone who's un- unpredictable, that I don't work with that. I can't.
0: Well, so, okay, so it sounds like that's a choice that you've made. You know it is better for you um not right. to work with unpredictable people. Um, mm-hmm. How does that serve you? Tell me how how that protects you.
1: Well, it protects me because, um, you know, growing up, you know, at that time you, you, and and it's, and it's sad to say, because I know my mom's watching and I know she probably tried her best. She was trying to protect herself. Um, and I'm sure she was in her own internal chaos. Um, and again, it didn't really get bad until I was a little bit later, a little bit later on. Um, but, um, for me it was, when you're constantly in that chaos all the time, if you can control yourself because you're the only person that you can trust,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then you're going to surround yourself. And that's, that's your small circle of loyalty. Right. Um, but unfortunately with that comes saying yes to people because you didn't want to make them angry Right. doing things that you didn't really want to do because you did not want to piss people off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, you're constantly, it's it's like a double-edged sword. You're, protecting yourself on one hand because you can trust yourself. But then on the other hand, you're giving everybody everything.
0: Right. Just placating until it kills you, which is what that, you know, that's that codependency, right? Is that yeah. learning how to shape your life around an alcoholic and then you learn to care for other people um, until, you know, it really drives you into the ground. And that's why I, you know, you draw a small circle. I think that's why that circle is small is because we can only sort of psychologically afford to care mm-hmm. for so many people, so you pick the mm-hmm. ones that really matter, and then that's your circle, and you're always working at it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and I also found that even though I would try and trust certain people, like in my teenage and late teenage years and early twenties, I always knew in the back of my head if I couldn't trust them, my gut was telling me that. But I wanted to, I wanted mm. to be able to trust them because because life would have been just so much easier if I could do that. Um, but I always had, there was a gut feeling in me that I would be like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going to work. I know this isn't going to work.
0: Right. So tell mm-hmm. me, okay. So that sounds like that's the inner, that's sort of a, a snapshot of the inner process. What does the outer process look like? Like, what do people see? I I'm given to understand perfectionism a part of, is a part of this? What is the image that you might portray if you're in that situation?
1: Well, I, um, am I mean it's it's every day, so yeah. it's it's perfectionism, it's unfortunately impulse control. I have I have a, str- I have a strong I would say a, a problem with that. There's no okay. question I have a problem with impulse control. Um, I also have the need for my own control um, and I and again this, this was really hard for me to admit because I was thinking about this today. I was like, is this going to be the first time I admit this and it will be oh, But I sometimes lie or exaggerate for no reason Hmm. and but in 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 those books that i read Mm -hmm. it was because that that is actually normal because i was always so afraid of the reaction. so sometimes Mm. something that would be normal like you could just tell someone the truth like you know i don't i don't i don't like that food or um that's not how i would say like and something basic right I learned at a very young age that my dad was so unpredictable that I had to be very careful about hurting his feelings or if he was going to snap. Any of those things that my dad did, I had to, I had to worry. So something that is something as basic as a question that someone would ask you about, oh, did you like that movie? Well, if I thought they liked the movie, I would answer yes.
2: I would be, sure. answer, yeah. Yeah. I would be like, oh,
1: what did you think about it? Because I, I didn't, I was always, always worried about, um, you know, the feeling of the unpredictability of someone getting mad, being angry at me. And so the feeling of having to lie.
0: So, uh, is it, so if I'm understanding it, is it like a reflex that you start to learn? you start to learn to automatically make up whatever the best received response is going to be rather than looking inward and figuring out what the truth is. Is that what it's like? Well,
2: it's all about
1: you were worried about the the reaction of the person that I'm talking to.
2: Right. Right. And, Just and no matter
1: instinctively, always like I remember one time when I was thinking about this today, um, I remember my boss one time said, Hey, how's that course you're taking? And I had planned on taking this course. For whatever reason, I had—I mean, we're talking. This is 18 years ago. Yeah. For whatever reason, I hadn't gotten around to taking the course.
2: Yeah.
1: And right away, I was like, "It's great. The course is great." <laughs> uh, and and I got read right away. And he's like, "Okay, great." He's like, "Well, like, what's your biggest takeaway from the course?" I was That'll like, work. "Gotta work hard. Gotta work hard. That's all." Awesome. Yeah. And it yeah. was so crazy that I said that. And I left that. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Why did I just lie about that? If I told him that I hadn't taken it yet because life has been busy, he probably would have been like, okay, well, that's great. Well, let me know when you take it. Like, he wouldn't cared.
0: Yeah. Well, My so, job
1: didn't depend
2: on it.
0: Right. Yeah. It was just something that it was something very old, older than that job that came up and caused uh-huh. you that way. Well, so, I mean, is that, you mentioned that that's still a part of your life now. Um, Have you been, have you done some work to sort of, um get those responses in back? I mean, can I ask, you can tell me if I can't ask, but I mean, like how have you gotten to a place where that's less of a part of your life? if it's troubling you like that,
1: that, that one's a really hard one for me. Yeah. Um, and again, it's like, it's, it's, I, I would say basic things. I think about, you know, my husband sometimes will say, Hey, or like, you, you know, again, going back to when we're not in COVID. Okay. What time are you done work today? Okay. I'm done work at four. So that means it takes me half hour to go home. I'll be home at four thirty. But, because I'm a workaholic sometimes I work more than that and I already know I'm going to do that because that's just what I do yeah. so then I'll get work 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 and then now it's 10 after 4 which I knew damn well it was going to be 10 after 4 before yeah. I was going to leave and then I'm going to be home late and instead of just calling him and saying hey I worked 10 more minutes late I'm going to be home 10 yeah. minutes later I'm 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 literally driving white knuckling like this like mm. mm-hmm. I can't tell him because he's going to be mad at me He's yeah. probably not going to be mad at me. 9.9 9 times out of 10, he's not going to be mad at me.
0: Right. Those well, and if things. he does, it'll pass, right? And, you know, he's, adult, you're an adult, like it doesn't need to be a divorce or anything, right?
1: No, no, you're, but that's my problem. Yeah. That's, that's me. I'm the one with that problem. And I still have that problem.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let me ask you, cause you re- you referred to that book earlier, perfect uh, daughters, which you had mm-hmm. recommended to me. And just as a quick aside to the people watching, Uh, It's Perfect Daughters. I accidentally ordered a book called A Perfect Daughter um, by accident, not knowing the author, and got about a quarter of the way into it. And I was like, not only is this kind of poorly written, but it doesn't seem to have anything to do with any of this stuff. It is Perfect Daughters. Um, And if you get the right book, it's well worth it. And the reason this book is important, I think, is in part because, again, like I said, um, we've done such a great job normalizing male experiences that we forget to reflect on things that happen specifically for women or in certain different mm-hmm. ways to women. So what are what are some of the sort of trademark in your experience parts of the female um adult child of alcoholics experience?
1: Well again, um I think society shames most women um into behaving a certain way to begin with when mm-hmm. it comes to working outside the home. And I know that Some people watching might go, "Well, that doesn't happen nowadays." (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: it, um, it does. But you know, we're constantly operating. I think as you know, female daughters of alcoholics of of shame, of hurt, of and then and then you again, you try and be perfect in order to be able to, you know, win that shame or win that. Um, the, the feeling of trauma that you're feeling constantly of not being good enough or or that maybe there's something that you did that or maybe why your parents or parent didn't care enough about you to change their behavior, whatever it is. So I think that that, you know, as, as women, we will naturally Work a little bit harder, mm. try and conform a little bit more to a man's world. I learned very early on that if I actually behaved more like a man, I would be more re- respected. Mm. And so I, I, I started to behave more like a man, and it actually worked it really, worked. really well.
2: Yeah.
1: And it has served me well as a professional. Um, but that being said, as a woman, to speak with other women, sometimes I don't get. It's not well received to behave that way. I'm more well received by men than I am by women, but that's only because I had to change in order to be able to behave that way, to be able to be respected in a man's world.
0: Yeah, you learn to speak Um, that other language, right? So that you could, so that you could go to work and fit in in the next experience. Yeah,
1: but constantly, you know, every single day when I'm, you know, if I'm at work, I'm constantly trying to be perfect. Work harder than the next person. Um, you know, feel guilty for, a lot of times, Impulse, like the impulsivity of my job. Sometimes I'll be like, well, I can do that. I'll do that. I'll do it right now. Right. The next thing you know, I'm like, shit. Right. Why did I say I was going to do that? And I just add more to my plate, right?
0: Yeah. Well, so would you say it's like a multiplier on all the sort of, the sort of general societal shames that we put women through all the time, that it's like it just gets amped up even more because you have this this sort of alcoholic family tendency behind it is that what it's like uh-huh.
1: yeah it's just one of the traits that uh, one of the many traits that you know we share um as adult children of alcoholics and i mean it's not like there's only a few of us in the world there's right. millions of us widespread <laughs> like it's not hard i mean i I've, I've had many times i've had conversations with people i'm like you know, my dad was an alcoholic. They're like, well, my dad was too, or my mom was too. And and right away, we can pinpoint five, six, seven things that we do the same.
0: Right. which Isn't that amazing?
2: Which, yeah.
0: And I mean, that's yeah. that's within the last like 100 years that people realized that that was a, a case. And, you know, codependency is one of the things that I really love working with. And in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, that's really just the thought patterns and behavioral patterns that emerge from having a, a parent or a family member that was an addict. You know mm-hmm. whether it's to alcohol or any of the other things you become addicted to, and it's astonishing it's it's observable, it's you know common, it's something that you see all the time well, so what mm-hmm. would you say to somebody what would you tell someone who's just starting to realize the effects of her parents drinking on her life, her upbringing her behavior? What would you say to her?
1: Well, it's not your fault mm. that was my first thing. it's not your fault, and for years, I always thought that you know all the mistakes i had made it was it was me it was in me but there was a framework that had been set up for me for a long time i'm not a bad person maybe making those impulse control issues and and mistakes that i had made along the way and and trying to still be perfect is just just a byproduct of that i would say to anyone if they um are an adult child of an alcoholic that there are there's lots of us out there <laughs> yeah and you just need to talk about it um because as soon as you talk to one person one person knows four people who knows ten people like <laughs> I, I mean we're you know the pretty tight phone tree. totally <laughs> and, and um and and it's now coming more um uh what's the word like we don't it's not necessarily taboo to talk about it anymore because I remember it's when it's I' was taboo. twenty. I would never have said, "Well, my dad was an alcoholic, because yeah. that would have made me look like I didn't come from a good family because I did come from a good family. My dad still loved us.
2: Sure.
1: My mother you know, luckily left him um, you know when I was about sixteen, seventeen-ish, yeah um, to pursue a life that she should have had her whole yeah. life but but the reality is is that you know, I hid that for many years, and I would think a lot of people. Um, that have alcoholic parents, especially anyone my age and older than me, would never have talked about this. Right. but I think that when you do talk about it with with other um adults that had a parent that was an alcoholic it's um it, it is refreshing it's sure. not like, oh hey, look, did your dad punch your uncle out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's not like that it's it's more like, oh my God, so I'm not fucking weird.
2: And I'm not alone, like, right?
1: It, it, and it is so. When I read that book, it was the first time because, um, in that book, and I, um, I, when you do get it, I don't know if you have it or not. You do you have it now? Yeah, I have it. Yeah, so I'm sure. If it came yet. Yeah. So in that book, it has stories, and they're all stories of these women. And I read them, and I don't know how many times I highlighted and 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 earmarked and was like, "Oh my God, that's me. That happened to me." And it made it made me feel like um, that I wasn't alone, and I know that sounds cliche. I'm not alone.
2: No, no but it, it was
1: But that is that is that that's what made me start to think, okay, this is okay. I'm gonna be okay, and I need to just start recognizing. And for me, my biggest one is my impulse control is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can make sure that I recognize those things and I can nip that before it happens, I think that's, that's, that's important. And I think anyone that is an adult child of an alcoholic could look and see any of the traits. And there's many, like I would mm-hmm. say there's probably like 10 to 12 Um and, and look at those ones and go, Hey, listen, what, what are the ones that resonate with me and what are the mm-hmm. ones that I can get there and say, i can i can work on that and whether it's therapy because it was for me initially it was therapy and now it's it's i enjoy talking to other um adults that had a parent that was an alcoholic
0: so So. if i can bring this back to something you brought up earlier one of the things that people um that really people don't can't talk about enough i think is the secrecy of it right you mentioned i would never have talked to other people about it because it would have made it sound like i came from a bad family and there's often sort of this this sort of baked in theme of like don't tell the family secret um as though all families don't struggle in some way or another and so secrecy ends up being a feature in a lot of these households as well now and i want to talk about support too but i see that something is coming up for you what's coming up for you right now
1: And just my mom just posted on there, and I just saw it. She just said, "I wish I could have saved her from all that." Let's be honest, though. I don't think it's about saving. I think it was about. I watched a really strong woman, and I'm probably the reason why I am so strong is probably because of her. Right. So I don't think saving um, would have been the right term.
0: No, I think, and she, and she was in it too, right? I mean, that's the other she piece of it. Too, is she was
1: in it too, and she was young. My mom my mom um is only sixty four years old. So at the time I think when she left my dad, she would have been like thirty five, thirty-six. A baby. I mean, yeah, with two kids, right? Jesus. Um so I think um she was in her own personal hell for sure. Um and I uh, I mean, I think my brother and I have done very, very well despite those like what we went through and some of the horrific events that we witnessed Mm -hmm. for a long time. And my mom was on the bad end of those horrific events many times. But um, I think we did pretty damn good, um, pretty damn well. And I have, I would say a lot of that has to do with her. So, I mean, it makes me cry when she says that, but I'm sensitive.
0: Yeah, well, Yeah, I mean, and that's another thing that we learn, you know, in alcoholic families is don't be sensitive, right?
1: Yes. Toughen up.
0: So it's good. I'm glad you're able to experience that. Now, in terms of support, both for people today and for people who are back in that spot that um, that your mother was in, you know, many years ago, one of the things that's really important that you touched on is how to get support for it. And I will tell anybody that is out there watching or listening to this, that I refer people to adult children of alcoholics all the time, which is like a 12-step group. And I would say on average, it takes people 18 months to say yes and to go. And then when they do, they go to one meeting and they go, oh, my God, this is I'm going to be in this for the rest of my life. This is so great. People love it. So if you're thinking about going to it, there's a little part of you inside your heart that says maybe adult children and alcoholics is for me. I would say save yourself 18 months. Go this week. If you hate it, you will be done with it, which is fine. But you also might really find some kinship with people that know what you're going through. Michelle, what other support is there out there for people, who, you know, other than talk therapy, um, other than adult children, if anything, unless I've covered all the big bases, how do people get support if they're dealing with this?
1: Well, I also think another thing that you talked about, the adult children of alcoholics, um, social media is phenomenal. So they've got Facebook. So there's adult children of alcoholics in Canada, as well as in the
0: U.S. I think so it's whether in or not virtually you're on- every country in the world. Whatever. yeah
1: like yeah so uh, the only ones i mean i follow the two the the one in canada and the u.s and um i mean i don't follow the the portuguese one because i don't <laughs> you know,
2: children of got it okay
1: <laughs> um yeah so uh, yeah, i follow those because i enjoy the quotes i uh enjoy some of the stories they they tell on there and and you know sometimes if i'm feeling like I will, I'll read that, those, those stories. And, and again, they resonate with me. And the, the book Perfect Daughters is on my bedside table at all times. So I use that to, it just helps me if, you know, if I'm in a moment or whatever, and it just kind of grounds me a little bit. Um But I, you know, always make sure that I've got someone, one person or two people that I could call at any point in time to say, listen, I'm, I'm having a moment. And I do have those, like I have a moment where You know, it's, it's, I know I'm not right. And, and I just need, I need to talk that out to somebody, especially if, of course, the therapist is not
0: available. Sure, sure. It's a bummer that they're not on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. (laughs) What? I know, it's bullshit. It's dumb. It's one of the, (laughs) one of the great flaws of our trade. Well, so Michelle, is there anything else that people need to hear? Is there anything that we didn't, I mean, obviously this is an enormous topic and we spent like 27 minutes on it, but is there anything else that people need to know from you about this? You
1: know, I just I think that they need. You know, I think we covered most of it, but I I would say that it's it's okay to have the feelings and those traits that you have. There's nothing wrong with you.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just it's being able to recognize them if you're not feeling good about them, and 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 right. and how you can how you can work through that, so that you can show up for your family, your friends, and your and your and your and your work, your profession. Um, In the best version of yourself. That's the only thing I would say. And I will tell you, I am far from perfect and I'm working on it. But you're working um, on
0: perfection. No, that's the thing. (laughs) Don't, don't do that.
1: (laughs) I'm working on all those traits that, you know, the anxiety and the, um, you know, the impulsivity and, you know, the risk taking all that kind of stuff. I'm working on that. And, um, you know, so I'm making sure that I'm showing up for my kids in the best way and showing up for my family in the best way, showing up for my work the best way.
0: What about showing up for you in the best way? I'll see. There you go. That's the next one. That's the next step. That's the next one. We got
2: it. That's step 12.
0: Right. I I can't wait. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for making time for, for me and for us and for the people out there today. Um, I really appreciate you uh, being willing to share your experiences. with everybody. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me so much. Thank you, Nick.
0: Well, that's it. Short but sweet. Our conversation with Michelle has drawn to a close. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed and got a lot out of what you heard. And I want to send a reminder out there to those folks um, who are recovering uh, and growing up in spite of experiences um, with alcoholic parents or family members. There is support out there. And I hope that you are able to find it and avail yourself of it. I wish you the best and happy new year. That's it for this episode of the More Exemplary Podcast. If you'd like to have a question answered on the More Exemplary Podcast, please send an email to moreexemplary at gmail.com. If you're interested in transforming your life, whether it's romantically, professionally, historically, or any other way through psychotherapy, please visit me at www.nickbognertherapy.com. If you love this podcast, please tell all your friends about it. And if you don't have any friends, then please tell some strangers about it in a not creepy way. Subscribing and leaving positive reviews helps me to be able to make more episodes of this podcast, and if you're still listening at this point, then I suspect you've fallen asleep with your earbuds in. Sleep well, and I can't wait to join you for the next episode of the More Exemplary Podcast.